Thank <laughs> you. 
One, two, three. Check, check, check. Check, check, check. Check, check, check. Check, 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 check. Check, check, check. Check, check. Deposit it in the bar. The bowl is at the bar being raised right now. So please, we want to hear your stories. Sorry. 
like a cigarette so pass it across the table like ping pong i'm gone beating my chest like king kong it's on wrap my lips around the 40 and when it comes to getting another stogie fools all kick in like shinobi know me ain't my homie to begin with it's too many hands to be probably let my friend hit me unless you pull out the fat crispy five dollar bill on the real before it's history Cause we'll be having a vacuum lungs And if you let them hit it for free, you hella dumb, da-dum-dum I come to school with a tailor on my earlobe Avoiding all the thick teas and skeezers and weirdos That be throwing off the land like where the bomb at Give me two bucks, you take a puff and pass my bomb back Suck up the dank like a Slurpee The serious bomb will make a nigga go delirious like Andy Murphy I got more growing pains than Maggie Cause homies snag me to take the dank out of the bag Tip-toe. 
gentlemen boys and girls san franciscans and other people from the east bay and the far east bay we have uh, we have some people from sacramento here we have people from san jose we have people coming in from all over um hey welcome uh welcome to the secret alley if you haven't been here before this is uh this is my favorite place in san francisco it's where ellison and i broadcast our show back pocket um on bff.fm that's right that's right yeah make some noise for community radio really quick you guys my my family is here (laughs) they never show up to anything and they're here (laughs) i'm so happy it is a surprise. Uh, yes, welcome to the Secret Alley. Uh, yeah, this is also my favorite place in San Francisco. Um, radio, BFF, this is where it all started. Back pocket. So, um, yes, uh, how do we do this? Storytelling. Uh, we have a theme for you, and then we curated a, a list, a, a solid lineup of storytellers. Um, uh, our, they're basically our friends. And they have great stories. Now they are. Now they are. <laughs> and um, they're going to be sharing some pretty private stories about roommates. Thin walls and dirty dishes. D- dirty dishes and thin walls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the pedantic roommate always correcting you. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, okay, we started, uh, the show over a year ago now, um, right back there in the pirate ship, and the platform of our show is soul music and storytelling, um, Ellison wasn't even that good of a friend of mine, but I knew he was the only motherfucker I knew that did radio, (laughs) and so, he was over at my house for a potluck, and I just kind of sprung it on him. I busted out some Pinot Gris, and we started talking. And I go, dude, I have this really cool opportunity to do this radio show, and I need a partner. You know how to work the equipment. Do you want to do it with me? And he was drunk enough, and he said yes. And 
now we're roommates. <laughs> and we have this show together. This is the sixth storytelling event that we've done. Um, the last one we just did was in Bolinas. It was our first out of city. Uh, yeah, make some fucking noise. Woo! And so now we're here. This is the second time we've done a show in the Secret Alley, and the crowd is bigger and it looks like more beautiful than the last time. So, hey, make some noise for yourselves for being here. This is honestly the biggest crowd we've ever had. It's great, thank you. Um, yeah, we, we double sold out, according to McArdle. Um, are we gonna do the, the list, or the, the, the mini stories? Let's do it, let's do it next. Okay. Um, let's get started. Again, um, the theme is Dirty Dishes and Thin Walls, the roommate edition. Um, our first storyteller. Um, I've actually heard this guy speak on our co-presenter's show, Slightly Sobbing, with uh, Taco Princess. She's somewhere around here. Shouts out to Lizzie. Where is she? She's, <laughs> she's at the door. She's our like logistics person. Um, anyways, Louis is our storyteller. Hey, make some noise for Lewis. So, can I take it out of this? Oh, yeah, totally. Cool. All right, so that was, I practiced, but you know, who knows? Um, am I allowed to curse on yeah, this? All right, fuck yeah. All right, cool. Okay, so I have my notes in my pocket. So I'm going to try to go, you know, sans and notes, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, so everybody knows, like, that uptight, you know, um, roommate, that story about someone that's – you're making me nervous with the camera. All right. So uh, everybody knows the story about, like, an uptight roommate that, you know, tells you to do dishes and stuff like that. And uh, my story is not really about that at all. Um, my story is actually I had uh, three shitty roommates at one time. Um so I moved to San Francisco with uh, three other – or two – yeah, three other guys. And we moved to Daly City. It was a shitty little house. Um, and the the rent was, like, super-duper cheap. But, you know, I'll just get going. Uh, so <laughs> Abby uh, was the first one. So does anybody here know Abby Manu Arig Dog? Okay, good, because I'm about to talk a bunch of shit about all these guys. Um <laughs> And I, I legitimately thought he, someone here might have known him. So Abby, <laughs> Abby was this. Uh, so when you hear the name Abby Man, you are Doug. You obviously think you know a tall white man because that's exactly who he was. See, his parents were Hardy Krishnas, and so and he was an only child. So his parents decided to name him Ar Abby Man, you are Doug. Um, which so we just called him Abby, of course, because no one's going to call him Abby Manu. Uh, and his his uh, his thing was he was super into himself, like crazy into him. What's that? Does anybody know like the name of the Greek god? Because I have it in my notes. What is it? Narcissus. That's fucking Abby. Like one hundred percent. This guy had mirrors all over our uh, house. He had push-up bars or pull-up bars in each one of the doors. <laughs> Because he like he w made a thing where he would just do pull-ups every time he'd go through, so he would stay fit. Yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous. And he would do push-ups before we went to parties or anything. 
And uh, this guy was, he was a nutrition major, and he thought that he was, like, the best nutritionist ever, so he would cook, like, ridiculous recipes that he found online for, you know, fish heads and shit. And so our place always smelled like garbage. Um, but the the worst thing about him was that he would come upstairs all the time with a duffel bag filled with pot, like, till the brim with pot. And I didn't smoke at the time, so it made me really uncomfortable. Because he would do it, like, every... I would say once a month, and I always thought, you know, if the cops came, man, we're fucked. Uh, especially because I didn't smoke, because I, I didn't know anything about it. Um, and uh, <laughs> so that actually brings me to the second roommate. So Abby wasn't that bad. Uh, I mean, he was not great, but um, the second roommate's name was Gurjeet. And it brings me to Gurjeet because Gurjeet would go downstairs, like, daily and just steal a little bit of pot from Abby every day. <laughs> like... All the time, yeah. He, knowing Gurjeet now, I'm like, that was kind of cool, man, because Avi was a fucking prick. Um, <laughs> but uh, Gurjeet had, Gurjeet was a fucking pothead, like for sure pothead. He would wake and bake, and then he would light up, and then lights out. I, he, he fucking loved pot, and he loved his car. He had a BMW, like a nice BMW car. We only had one parking space, and it was his. Um, but even though he loved his car and he loved like jamming EDM music out of it, he loved more to drink and drive. He fucking, yeah, yeah. So I was, I, this guy was not on my like happy list because I fucking hated it. He would drive back from Santa Cruz on the 17, which if you're from here, yeah. And he would come home and he'd be blackout drunk. And I was like, what the fuck, dude, what are you doing? Um, and that still is not the worst roommate. The, w- <laughs> the worst roommate was uh, a guy named Ivan. Uh, and again, I, uh, yeah, Ivan the Terrible, there you go. Uh, this guy was a piece of work. So to start off, he was an alcoholic, 100%. I would open his door and bottles of Smirnoff would come rolling out. It, like, like, it sounds like a cartoon. That's legitimately, I would open his door and bottles would come out. Um, and... That wasn't that bad. I mean, alcoholic roommate, whatever. He was also a little violent. Not He wasn't not not violent, which with alcoholism means you're pretty violent. <laughs> and <laughs> and he, um, he would do this thing. He would always have a weapon on him. That, that was, like, not great. But I need Greg. Greg, come here. I want to show you what... what uh, what he would do every single time. Like, every night he'd come home and he was really drunk. Hey, Greg has no idea what I'm about to do. So he would come up to me, stand that way, face that way. He'd come up to me while I was, like, cooking or something, and he thought this was the funniest goddamn thing in the world, and he thought we were really good friends, too. He would, uh, <laughs> but I hated him. I fucking hated this guy. He would come up to me with his knife out, like, pointed. This is his knife, and it's out. And he would um, go and go, hey, man, how's it going? And he'd go to stab me. And right before he'd flip the knife in and go. And he thought it was the funniest thing. And I, you're good, man. Go for it. <laughs> you're dead. Yeah. The thing was, he thought it was so funny, and I didn't. And also, he was drunk every time he did this. So, you know, he was definitely going to fuck that up once. But even that wasn't the worst part about Ivan. You'd think that that was fucking horrible. But no. Instead... He also had ordered a revolver gun to come delivered to our house, which I didn't even know you could do that. But one day a Cabela's package is in our front door. 
and it's a fucking a revolver, straight up revolver. And he he I guess he liked to go to shooting ranges, but he kept it loaded in our house all the time. So, uh, <laughs> and something that Ivan would do all the time. So I guess this revolver had like a sticky trigger. So what he liked to do is he would sit in his room and he'd just sit and pull the trigger all the time. He would just sit pointing at the roof, just pulling the trigger. And I would say like the third day he had it, he had the guts to, for when I was walking by, he would look at me. I didn't see him pulling the trigger prior to this. He would look at me, point at me, and he'd pull the fucking trigger. And I was like, dude, no, man, that was not cool. But that didn't stop him from doing it every single day. Every single day I would walk past his room and he'd pull the trigger and he thought, again, he thought we were great friends. He thought this was fucking funny. Um, and it, I hated it. And I think the thing I resent about Ivan the most is the fact that he made me comfortable with someone pointing a gun at me every day <laughs> and pulling the trigger. Like, I was just like, oh, it's Ivan, you know, pulling a fucking gun on me. It's insane. But, um, so I had three shitty roommates at one time, but a lot of the times I think about, you know, I don't know if they knew they were shitty roommates. And, I, and then I think more and I go, you know what, I did always tell Abby, uh, you know, hey, don't bring all that fucking weed upstairs. And I would tell Gurjeet, you know, don't drink and drive and, and you smoke too much. And I would tell Ivan, you know, don't fucking kill me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think about it and I go, you know what, what if I was that uptight roommate that told him to stop doing all this shit? <laughs> and, and I think about it more... And I go, you know what? I definitely was not a good roommate. And the reason I th- know that is because when I moved out, I owned everything in that goddamn house. <laughs> I owned the TV. I owned the, the uh, sofas, the, the um, rug under the sofas, the <laughs> dining room table, and all the silverware. And I told them before, like I kind of told them, hey, I'm going to be moving out in probably a week. And I waited for no one to be home, and I just took fucking everything from that house. And I was just gone. And I know they came home, and they were like, holy shit, we were fucking robbed. (laughs) And then they went to my room, and they were like, and only Lewis was robbed? (laughs) So, and I I know now that they must think, I've never talked to them since then, but I know they must be thinking, that guy fucking hated us, and we had no idea until the day he moved out. And so I think, you know, before I thought, wow, I had sh- three shitty roommates. But now I think, you know what? I don't think I just had three shitty roommates. I think it was just a house of four shitty roommates. <laughs> and I was just one of them. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. <laughs> Will I just put it in here? Yeah, Lewis. All right. Okay, I. Ellison <laughs> uh, was the one that fielded that story, um, and hearing it now in its complete form, I knew Abby. He was there with me my freshman year, and I, I remember the narcissist. That's what he whispered to me when he just started the story. He was like, "Oh my God, I know that guy." And I was like, the model? And he was like, yeah. It's true. He was, yeah, he bought bread for me at the farmer's market a few times. Um, 
All right. We have a bowl full of your roommate grievances, roommate stories right here. So we're going to read a couple of them anonymously, of course. Um, unless you put your name, in which case. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, let's see what's, what's good. It's long. Okay. Uh, well, okay. Bullet points. We got bullet points here. Mm, okay. I walked into my kitchen and my roommate was vacuuming the stove. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. Um, bullet point number two walked into my freshman dorm room. My roommate was doing anal. My niece is here. She's 13. I can't read this. Okay, um, let me explain anal to you. I'm sorry. Bullet point number three. Bullet point number three. I had a triple fresh, a triple freshman year. I had a. What? Oh, okay. A triple. A triple. Okay. Three beds. Um, one morning, I woke up and saw four people in the bunk on the other side. I woke up alone. Sad face. Is that yours? Do you want to keep this? All right. I once had a roommate who sounded like a donkey dying <laughs> when he and his girlfriend were having sex. When they banged in the shower, all I could hear were the echoes of a sick donkey dying. <laughs> a lot of sad ones. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I got my roommate drunk for her first time, and I had to give her a shower after she jumped into a fountain in the music concourse of the Golden Gate Park. That's such a good fountain. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think someone's claiming it for some reason. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> She's proud of it. That's great. All right. Our next storyteller of the night. Um, I met this person in Whole Foods. Um, yeah. She wanted my job, and I'm leaving. Um, actually, oh, this is good. I'm leaving to Portugal in four days. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is why we're going to stop this, or pause, not stop. We're going to pause this series, Back Pocket Presents, for a bit until I get back from Europe, and then we'll continue it again. But um, because I'm leaving, I need someone to take my job, and this person was interested in it. Um, and that's how we met, and she had a really amazing roommate story and they, yeah so please make uh, a round of applause for Meredith Bosco I've never used a mic before Okay, so um, thank you, Christian. Um, my name is Meredith, but I'm going to tell you a story about a time when I was more commonly known as Bosco. 
this would be um, my freshman year of college. So is anyone here from the East Coast? Could you raise your hand? Yeah, right on. So you guys know that on the East Coast, college is a big fucking deal. And um, a lot of parents will pay a lot of money for people like young kids to go to private school and they just feed money into their education so that they'll be guaranteed to go to a place like Harvard, Yale, you know, an Ivy League top-notch school. So my parents, being great parents, did the same for me. And they sent me to a private school in Cambridge. Um, senior year came around. I was like the ideal candidate. I liked marine bio. Um, you know, I was like on student council. I was kind of killing it. So I applied to 26 schools. <laughs> and uh, that spring, when everyone gets their acceptance letters, I got rejection letter after rejection letter. Um, I was getting pretty nervous, but one day I got a bigger letter, which meant you got accepted. So I opened this letter and it said, oh, like, you've been accepted to Connecticut College. So has anyone here heard of Khan? Yeah. Oh, one person. Okay. So as you can imagine, my friends are getting into these great colleges, and I get this letter from Connecticut College. We call it Khan. So Connecticut College is uh, <laughs> it's one of 12 NESCAC schools. NESCAC stands for New England Small College Athletic Conference. And Khan uh, is definitely the worst one. <laughs> So a, a week later, I got another letter, and it said, Meredith, you have been offered a guaranteed transfer to Cornell. And I was like, fuck, my saving grace. I can tell everyone, all of my friends, I'm going to Cornell in a year. No big deal. <laughs> so my parents dropped me off at Connecticut College. I get into my dorm, and I happen to go be placed in the, look, the jock dorm. Marshall. It was filled with lacrosse players and hockey players that were like 26 because they've already done two postgraduate years and all this crap. So they put three freshman girls in the lobby of this dorm. And needless to say, I, I went in prepared to leave in a year. So I was ready to party, didn't give a fuck about my reputation, and um, was ready to cause a ruckus. So um, as the year went on, there's only 1,200 people on this campus. Um, I'd say a third of the campus hated me. A third of them loved me, and a third didn't know who I was. Um, but I was, you know, I was the girl that would make out with your boyfriend, make out with your girlfriend, and really just, like, do whatever I wanted. Um, so I was really, I really became that freshman. So come spring, uh, this upperclassman, who was an editor, an opinions editor for the newspaper, she called me and she's like, hey, Meredith, I want to interview you about why you're transferring to Cornell. And I was like, hell no. I'm already content a contentious person on campus. I know this is going to cause a big ordeal. So I said no. She called me another time. I said no. She called me a third time and she said, listen, please come interview with me. I promise not to use your name. I won't talk about where you're going to college, and I won't mention the dorm that you live in now. And I was like, fuck it, okay. So, 
I met this girl on a Thursday night. Thursday was a big party night at Connecticut College. Uh, but I happened to not be going out. So we sat in a common room. And I told her everything. All my thoughts. I was brutally honest. Um, and then, you know, that was that. I went to bed. The next day, carried on with my weekend. Went out Saturday night. Had a great time. Sunday... It was like the last week of school, so I took mushrooms with my friends, went down to the lake. Didn't really get back to my dorm until 12.30 that night. And uh, I walk over to my triple in the lobby of Marshall. Triple, which you guys remember, means three persons in a room. Um, so, and I look down and I see the college voice. <laughs> so this newspaper is from 2009 uh, my freshman year of college and tonight it was actually recovered from the dumpster in back of Limon because before I came here I went there and accidentally threw it out so anyways um, I picked this up and I saw on the front page why students transfer I was prepared for it, um, but, I wa but what I wasn't prepared for was this. <laughs> Freshman Meredith Bosco. <laughs> Come on, girl, like you promised. Freshman Meredith Bosco stayed in this Thursday night. At almost midnight, she was in her pajamas, still studying for a calculus exam she had at 9 the next morning. That is, after her chemistry class at 8. She is working to maintain her above B average so she can matriculate to Cornell in the fall as a transfer student. And certainly, from initial glance, she is ready to go. Weird. Um, <laughs> you know, I wasn't really sweating the 3.0 at con. It was definitely going to happen, but I wasn't expecting her to tell everyone. Um, quote, I may be an extra special circumstance because basically everything went wrong, she said. <laughs> Connecticut College was not Meredith's first choice. She comes from Buckingham, Brown, and Nichols, a prestigious private high school on the periphery of Cambridge, Massachusetts. <laughs> uh, its students are Ivy-focused and more often than not, Ivy League-bound. After being rejected from too many schools off the top of her head to remember. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I was gonna be a marine biologist, guys. <laughs> she chose Khan with guaranteed transfer to Cornell. It was impermanent for Meredith upon entry. She came in prepared to be gone in a year. Like I said, I really wasn't concerned about my reputation. <laughs> Quote, I think Khan was stigmatized by my high school as being the nest cack that rich private school kids go to when they don't get in anywhere else, she said. 
Just because of this, I was bred to believe this was a second-rank school. And that's awful, but it's ingrained in me. So, as you can imagine, <laughs> at this point, I was speechless. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? But you know what? No one really reads the voice. It'll be fine. Um, and I figured, like, you know, most people that went to con kind of had this same feeling about the place. Um, so it was fine. Then I continued to read. Meredith explained that the problems did not stop when she got there, promising that she initially wanted to like it. <laughs> Most of her classes were taught by visiting professors. Her schedule as a science student was unfairly inflexible, leaving her to wake up at 7 a.m. in the morning and retain specific information every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. No one went to class on Fridays except for science kids. Um, she was placed in a double, triple, in a lobby of Marshall, a dorm widely established as populated by the con-deemed lax bros. White, middle upper class, gym going, bush light drinking, weight shifting, stereotyped contact sports players. <laughs> Fuck. Quote, I got the wrong impression of the school from where I lived, Meredith said. I was kind of upset with Red's life for knowing who was going to live there and throwing in freshman girls. Being in the lobby, lacrosse balls were hitting my door all the time. <laughs> so at this point, I knew I was fucked. I looked around the dorm and I was like, okay, not only have I insulted my school, everyone thinks I'm a stuck-up bitch, and I've also insulted all the people I live with, mainly the lacrosse players. So seeing all the newspapers around, I was like, okay, they're never gonna read it. No one reads the voice except for people on student government. So I ran around the dorm, collected all the newspapers. <laughs> Luckily for me, it was a Sunday, so like everyone goes to sleep on Sundays. Got all the newspapers, stashed them under my bed. And I was like, all right, it's cool. One week left of school, like cruising, got a party next weekend, we're good. So the next morning, I um, get up, plan to go to my biology class and I I walk in to the cafeteria and as soon as I was spotted immediately there's an uproar in the cafeteria the entire cafeteria started shouting fuck you Bosco <laughs> get your ass to Cornell like we don't want you here anymore so I grabbed my coffee and I hid in a corner for the rest of the week, uh, my friends, six girls, uh, developed a little buddy system so they could get me from place to place. So I never had to be alone. Um, but come Friday, I knew I had to go out. Or I guess it was actually Thursday. I knew I had to go out. I was like, I'm that freshman. Like, I might as well just fucking ride it out. So I, instead of going out, in my normal dorm, the lacrosse bro dorm, I found sanctuary in, on South Campus. We're all like, you know, the cool like hipsters lived. So I went there and, um, you know, was, I don't know what I was doing, probably drinking. And <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, uh, back in Marshall, my sweet, sweet roommate, Carrie, is uh, fast asleep. She was, uh, I think she was a classics major. 
and she she you know she she never went out um but she was always there when i lost my keys so uh around 11 p.m. there's a knock on my dorm room i obviously was in my safe zone uh down on South Campus. I don't know, maybe binge drinking. But um, <laughs> the door, she gets a knock. And Carrie assumes it's me. Like, I never have my fucking keys. So she opens the door. And as she opens the door, two garbage cans full of water and bush light cans <laughs> nearly <laughs> knock her over and come into my dorm room flooding the room. So... <laughs> That was the end of my relationship with Carrie. <laughs> the end of my relationship with Connecticut College. And the end of my relationship with the LAX team. But that was cool. Um, so why will Cornell be any better? Beyond the schedule flexibility, her interest in marine biology, and beneath the surface, the bumper sticker, Meredith is impatiently waiting for the anonymity Cornell will offer. <laughs> now I know I have to leave. <laughs> uh, because I think both Cornell and a bigger school in the long run will be better for me, she said, smiling and rushing her words. As I'm sure you know, I have a pretty outgoing personality. Let's give it up one more time for Meredith. Moscow. Girl stayed at her boyfriend's place every night. Had an had an asshole fat ass of a cat that we <laughs> that we two other people took care of um one day she dropped off a bag by the door and stayed there for six months it had a it a booked it had a booked pork tenderloin that stunk the whole house there you go a house of tenderloin for six months i'm really good at finding bullet points because i have more People like, tend to like doing bullet points, I guess. Um, my roommate, freshman year, sleep talks. Woke up multiple times, multiple occasions, yelling at me to get the Starbucks. Um, I developed a digestive problem because I didn't feel comfortable farting in front of my roommate. When I'm on the motherfucking microphone. No, just kidding. Um, so, <laughs> yo, when I, when I was in high school, um, this is true, before I had roommates, when I just lived with parents and brothers and sisters and one grandmother, um, I was a rapper. <laughs> and uh, 
Uh, ge genuinely, in high, that was my. Dr I mean, seriously, I saw myself in the future as a rapper. I still love rap. I still freestyle. Um, but, but I would perform around Sacramento, and I'd perform and open up for big people sometimes. And I thought I was really cool, but I wanted press. I wanted to get mentioned in the local newspaper, in the SNR, which is like the cool public newspaper. Sacramento News and Review, that's right, you know that. And there was one guy who covered hip-hop in the city. And I thought, well, fuck, I'm opening up for these dope people. Let's talk about one of the local artists. And so I sent out. Seriously, a shitload of messages to this one guy saying, hey, inviting him, sucking his dick. Please come to my show. I'd love you to come. Uh, I'm a local guy. Go to this high school, blah, blah, blah. I think you would like what I do because I saw your article on KRS-One and you like this about KRS-One. Well, you might like, you know, that kind of thing. I was a junior. <laughs> and um, so I'm sending all these messages. I get zero responses. Three years later, after I've moved out of Sacramento, I'm in San Francisco and I get it. A Facebook request and on this Facebook request who was it from but the very journalist that was writing about all these Sacramento hip-hop artists and I go well a little late to the party but all right accept okay I'll take it and so I accept him and he's the funniest guy I've ever seen on Facebook I like his post weekly um, he still lives in Sacramento. He's a professor now, and he still writes. He has a book of poetry. Uh, he's amazing. This is his first time doing a storytelling event, but I convinced him because he never wrote about me when I was a rapper to come and perform here tonight for the storytelling event. So make some noise for Josh Fernandez. Fuck you, Bosco. <laughs> Actually, it's, I just remembered this because of the Abby story that I used to have this roommate who was so narcissistic that he would cut the backs out of his shirts so that women could see his ass when he walked around. His name was Fausto. Isn't that amazing? Like. Can you imagine being Fausto just for a minute? No. Um, anyway, you guys are really good looking. Let me just say that. You guys are so fucking beautiful. I come from Sacramento where everyone's just ugly as fuck. So like, my first thing to you, you guys should all go to Sacramento and just fuck everyone. You guys could get so much dick and pussy in Sacramento. This is, this is eating, this is eating into my time. Um, or, but you could like repopulate Sacramento with better-looking people. Um, so this is, uh, this is a story about um, when I went to UC Davis. Do you guys know where that is? It's just over there. Yeah, it's a shitty fucking school. Uh, I went to UC Davis and I got kicked out of my, my house. My roommates kicked me out because I did too many mushrooms. I know. So, so what happened was this, is um, we had parties all the time. We lived in this four bedroom house with about 19 people. Um, I, I know, it was a lot of people in there. And it was all like artists and writers and, and fucking folk musicians and shit. So it, I know, and it's just as annoying as it sounds. It's even worse. 
But uh, we were having this party, uh, and we had a party almost every night. Um, and so we were kind of pre-gaming before the party, and our friend Arvin comes up. And Arvin's a mushroom dealer. And so he starts drinking with us. And all, we're talking, hanging out. Arvin says this to me. He says, uh, he says hey, I got to take off right now. I'm going to give you these bags of mushrooms to hold on to. And I know, and in my defense, I did hold on to them for a very long time. Um, but I think you know where this is going, right? I started drinking, and when I drink, I get the fucking munchies. I know, and this wasn't the kind of party where we had like a cheese plate, right? There were just kegs, and there was booze, and so I just had these mushrooms in my pocket, and I just started eating them. I know, and I was so fucked up that they actually tasted pretty delicious. So I started eating them, eating them, eating them until they're all fucking gone. I, I looked, I went like this, and there were just two empty bags. So I was like, oh no, this is the worst. And so people start coming, coming to the party. There are all these people coming. And you know how, like, have, you guys have done mushrooms, right? Yeah, oh, fuck yeah. Um, they're fucking horrible, first of all. Let me just tell you that. They're the worst drug ever. No, they're awful. Um, ah, they're turning on me, Christian, help. <laughs> no, <laughs> stop. Let me get you back. Uh, they're the worst. But um, anyway, I started giving myself a pep talk, right? I'm like, nothing that is going to happen from here on out is real. Right? It's all going to be some fant. If I was doing mushrooms right now, by the way, in this place, I would kill myself. <laughs> I wouldn't know where I was, or like, I, I feel like I just stepped off at It's a Small World and was like, ah, I'm lost. <laughs> it's so diverse in here. Um, so, <laughs> so, anyway, I start giving myself a pep talk. My friends, my roommates, they're like, hey, let's take a walk. Let's get out of here and just take a walk and talk and stuff, because they're all artists and that's what they do. Uh, so we went to the park, they sit in a circle, they start talking, and I start feeling it, right? You know that feeling, it's like a drumbeat, it's like a marching band going through your body. It's like, dum 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 dum, and then everything starts to vibrate, and I'm like, oh no, this is the worst. So I sit kind of apart from my, from my roommates, and I'm like, holy shit, this is not good. This Native American guy walks up, and like I actually went to confirm this. There actually was a Native American guy. He was no one knew him. He walks up and stands over our circle. He doesn't say anything. And so like my personality, I want to make everyone feel welcome. And so I just start asking him questions, but he didn't answer any of them. He was just standing there like this. And like sometimes he'd give a one-word answer. And finally I'm like, "Dude, you got to get the fuck out of here because you're freaking me out." Without a word, he turns around and walks away. And then I feel all this guilt. I'm like, God damn it, haven't the Native Americans gone through enough? And like, I felt this real fucking guilt. And so like, that did not make my trip any better. So like, what I did was I closed my eyes like this. And I don't, I don't want to give you any lessons or anything. What the fuck is that, Christian? Oh, I'm in San Francisco. I feel like everything is new to me here. Um, I don't like to give didactic lessons in, in stories or anything, but I'm a, I'm a teacher now, so I'm going to. 
if you ever do too many mushrooms, don't ever close your fucking eyes. Because when you open them, everything is going to be horrific. And it was. It was like everything was vibrating. I looked up at the tree, and the tree was licking the moon. And I was like, fuck, that is definitely not supposed to happen. And so I look up in another tree, and there is Gary Busey. <laughs> Gary motherfucking Busey in the tree like this. Just imagine that. And so Gary Busey tells me that we are in a government surveillance tape. And this whole thing is a government surveillance project, which freaks me out. And so my friends get up, they go back to the house, and I kind of follow them, and I'm like, who are these motherfuckers, right? I'm like, they're not my roommates. These are some government operatives. Bad thought to have. We get back to the house, the full raging party's going on, right? And I'm like, who are all these people? Who are these people? We had this fireplace with this huge mirror above it. It's like five foot long, three foot tall. It wasn't really attached to any. We were college students, so we just like leaned it up against the fireplace. I looked into it, and I saw wires and cameras. And I'm like, fuck, that thing has to go. So I run over to it, and I take it, and I slam it on the ground, and it breaks into a million pieces. And so, like, people at the party probably thought I was just a drunk guy, right? But, and they kept partying, and that pissed me off. I'm like, oh, my God, they are so trained in their government ways <laughs> that they don't even give a shit about me. And so I look, and my roommate Rob's laptop is there, and I'm like, why is there a laptop here? It was a brand-new laptop. I know, it's the worst. And so, like, I see it. And I'm like, there are cameras and wires in there, and I have to get rid of that thing. So I take it, and I hoist it above my head, and I throw it on the ground, and it breaks into a million pieces. And that's when people who didn't know me at that party were like, this guy is really fucked up. We got to get out of here. And so they started to leave, but before they could leave, I locked all the doors. And I said, I, this is where it gets a little serious. I said, I am going to murder every single one of you. Because I thought they were working for the government. And so they fucking flip out and they start leaving. And I'm like, how the fuck are they leaving? I just locked the door because I didn't know how doors worked, really. I was like, they just unlocked them and ran away. So my roommates, they fucking usher me outside. And my good roommate Dan, he's like the nicest, sweetest, most tender painter you would ever meet. He was this tall, never said a goddamn word. He fucking tackles me on the ground and pins me there. And I'm like, holy shit, that was badass. I was like, you are trained so well by the government. I didn't even know you were a fucking ninja like that. And so he says, hey, I'm going to let you up, but are you going to fuck any more shit up? And I'm like, no. And so he lets me up, and I start running. <laughs> I start running away. I'm running so fucking fast. And I hear these little footsteps behind me. And I'm like, holy shit, who's following me? It's, it's my roommate, Rob. He's following me. And I'm like, holy shit. So I fucking dive underneath a car and roll underneath the car <laughs> like this. 
But it is so dark and scary as all fuck that I'm like, ah, and I roll back out and I start running again. And right, Rob is like right behind me. We run to the university mall, which is this shitty strip mall right by the university. There's a um, construction site going on. So I stop at the construction site. I can't breathe anymore. Rob can't breathe anymore. But he takes me by the shoulders and he says, Josh, I am so sorry this is happening to you, but I'm not a government agent. I, he is so sweet, I know. So I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> He's, <laughs> I was like, that's exactly what they trained you to say. That fucking bullshit. So he says, what can I do to prove to you that I'm not a government agent wearing wires? And I'm like, take off all your fucking clothes. <laughs> Strip down. Without even missing a beat, he takes off his shirt. He takes off his pants. He takes off his underwear. He takes off his shoes. And he says, look. He's like, I'm not a government agent. I don't have wires. And I look down. I look into his kind eyes. I'm like, oh, this man is so beautiful. <laughs> but I see that he's still wearing socks. So I'm like, socks too, you motherfucker! <laughs> he takes off his socks and puts them into the little pile. I pick up all his clothes and throw them over the construction site. <laughs> and this is, this is the saddest shit ever because he just looks at me, he starts crying, and then he walks away. And so I'm like, yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> and I ran to UC Davis, where I spent hours hiding behind shadows. <laughs> and at one point in the night, I got so fucking scared that I called the police. I said, I am a crazy person, and you need to take me away. They never came. They never fucking came. So I was left there until daylight creeping around the campus like this, behind dumpsters, behind trees. I finally made it to my girlfriend's house. I slept it off on the couch, and I woke up with that pit in your, you know like when you do something bad? Like, when, you know when, like when you get really drunk, uh, Bosco? Uh, and then you, <laughs> and then you wake up and you're like, I really fucked something up. So I had that. I'm like, shit, and so I walked over to my house, and I rounded the corner, and all my shit is out on the lawn. All my roommates are out on the lawn. Some of them are crying, and they're like, this is the last straw, and I was like, oh my god, so I grabbed as much stuff as I could, like, kind of, I was kind of crying too, and I walk away, and I get this text message, and it's fucking Arvin, the guy with the mushrooms. And he's like, you owe me $120. And I was thinking in my head, well, I have negative 11 in my bank account. So, uh, and then he, I, he says, you know, what happened? I tell him the whole story about how I ate the shrooms, the Native American guy, the mirror, the laptop, Rob chasing me down, throwing his clothes, um, everything, the trees, every, I told him everything in this, in this text message. And so I start, I start walking, I get another text message. And he's like, holy shit, that's what fucking mushrooms are all about. 
And so, <laughs> so I, I never saw any of those people again. However, Arvin, after UC Davis, he moved to San Francisco. He lives somewhere around here. So just out of morbid curiosity, Ar Arvin, are you here? Really? Is he a, a tall Indian man? Holy fuck. Okay, bye. <laughs> Give it up for Josh. All right. All right, guys, we're going to have a very quick intermission, uh, just a little rest from storytelling, and then we're going to get right back into it. So please grab some water, move around, meet a neighbor, find a new roommate. Meet back here in 15 minutes. Thank you.
doce que eu estou sentindo Sopa a luz do sol Sinto que eu sinto que eu sinto se eu estou sentindo Sopa a luz do sol Faço o que eu faço o que eu faço se eu estou fazendo Sopa a luz do sol Faço o que eu faço o que eu faço se eu estou fazendo Sopa a luz do sol
about 55 years old. He was goth and threw parties every Friday. He DJed and was taking the whole thing very seriously, but literally no one was coming. I don't know if he invited people, to be honest. Anyway, this dude was just very random. That dude. My very first roommate, freshman year of college, had a very conservative and over-involved mother who did not approve of her daughter's boyfriend. She was the type of mother who would show up at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning knocking on our dorm room door. So when my roommate escaped for, for a weekend in NYC with her boyfriend, I took the routine evening call from her mother three-way dialed in my roommate on her call and listened to my roommate fumble through oh, two pages, through some awkward conversations. Today she's a successful doctor and married to that college boyfriend. A good story, like a a happy ending. No bullet points. Yeah, it's (sighs) Okay, I haven't read this one yet but it starts with college dorm, so I'm going to read it. After moving out of my college dorm, my two girlfriends slash roomies moved in with a man I couldn't help but fall in love with. Ellipses, dot, dot, dot. Was it the man bun or the fact that he played the cello? I can never be sure. (laughs) It was the cello. (laughs) After months of attempts, I finally started to date the hunk, and one thing led to another. Of course, his room <laughs> he's his roommates knew I was over since they were by default since they were there by default. They were my roomies for life. dot dot dot. Anyway, 
my horrid, to my horrid surprise, after what I imagined was a beautifully executed date and conquest, I was asked to sneak out the window so his roommates wouldn't see. Boom! Man bun. My roommate's brother moved in, and, and a month... uh, And a month in, he hooked up with my other roommate. Her room was right next to mine, and and they only, and the only sex they had was loud, loud sex. Um, the walls, sure, can't read that. One day, I was home alone with with them, and they had sex in the kitchen, and I saw my roommate's dick. (laughs) I saw my roommate's dick. My nightmare underline. P.S. The kitchen was dirty AF. (laughs) They still had sex in it. Uh, This one? Two-pager. There's this old roommate of mine. We used to live in one of those overpacked Park Merced apartments. Yeah, all right. Uh, this guy was more off than, than most off <laughs> roommates are with cra- crazy mood swings and weird tendencies, including talking about the most gross and unnecessary sex stories. I had the misfortune of sharing a room with him one night as the sun was... As the sun was... Thanks. Um, as the ah, thank you. As the sun was was coming up, and I was slowly waking up, I had uh, I heard I heard rustling across the room. Without having opened my eyes, I tried to dis- discern the source of the noise. Parentheses. I like faking being asleep, so I am <laughs> eavesdropping. Okay, okay. I'm getting it. I'm, I'm figuring out the, the, the writing. Then I heard the moaning. I'm like, no, n- no, no, no. And I, dare, and I dare to look over to see a bulge under the sheets vigorously. Uh, what is this? V- vigorously. Pumping. A set? I don't know. Having, having. Oh, vigorously having sex. <laughs> Why did I miss that? Um, I didn't know what to do. I ended up saying... Uh, God damn it. I ended up stay, the, staying there trying to act like it wasn't happening. Trying to act like it wasn't happening. That's it. I'm preparing the mic this next... Storyteller's got some height. Let's see here. All right, so I met this next storyteller. Uh, last summer, I went to Africa. On my way to Africa, I had a fucking 12-hour layover in Istanbul, Turkey. That awkward time where there's not enough to leave the airport and see the city. Um, not enough to buy a visa, at least, and see the city. And definitely not enough to just sleep and chill or read a magazine. And so I'm walking around this airport... And I don't know where to go. Um, and I've, I've already lapped it a few times. And I'm 
going by this Irish pub. There's an Irish pub in the Istanbul airport. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's there and and I'm standing there checking my phone I don't even have service but I was checking it for some reason and this dude on the side inside the Irish pub goes hey uh, you were on my flight weren't you and I look at him and I go eh, I don't know and he goes you're coming from San Francisco and I go yeah yeah I guess I was on your flight and he goes well yeah I was on that one so um, come have a beer with me and so I sat down, and I spent between six and eight hours, long-ass time, enough time to fall in love with someone, um, <laughs> six and eight hours, no, um, talking to this guy, and he was so interesting. He was on his way to France, and we just remained friends afterwards. We kept in contact. I had to get his email after having three orders of fries and three Guinnesses with him. Um, and so, I, but I knew from that eight hour conversation that he was articulate and that he was able to tell a story. And so I've reached out to him for the last three storytelling events, but it hasn't worked out. And this event, it's worked with his schedule and it's worked with the theme. And so now he's here with us tonight. So I want you to make a big round of applause for my airport layover friend and my friend in general, Alondre, please. So yes, everyone, I am the airport street harasser. <laughs> okay, so the story I'm going to tell you uh, took place in the summer of 2008. Now, I overheard that it's someone's 21st birthday. Um, so the summer of 2008 was my 21st birthday. So I resent your youth. But happy birthday! Yay! Yay! Happy birthday! So back when I was young. So I had this great idea. I'm going to move to New York, do awesome things, have awesome adult adventures. So the summer of 2008, drop out of Emory. Like, who cares? Who gives a fuck? Social science is for losers. I'm currently getting my PhD in anthropology at Stanford. But yeah, I was over it. So I was like, I'm going to do something exciting. I'm going to move to New York. Why not? Save my money, all of this. Summer of 2008, June, June 3rd, moved to Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy, woo-woo, all of that. Yeah. <laughs> so as any good stoner knows, the first thing you do when you move to a new place is find a good connect, <laughs> a good, reliable connect. So I'm thinking to myself, well, it's Brooklyn, it's Bed-Stuy, there have to be drugs all around, I should just have to walk outside my apartment, I can find someone, right? <laughs> So one evening, I venture outside my apartment, going around, someone will hook me up, who can I spot, what can I see? So see this guy, he's walking a dog, he has a dog, cute little terrier, must be nice, right? Has to be a good person. <laughs> so I approach him, I'm like, hey, you know where I can get some bud, you know, what's going on around here? And he's more than willing to help. He's like, oh, yeah, I know exactly where you can go. I go all the time. So we walk over a couple blocks. He takes my money, goes upstairs. Transaction happens. Comes downstairs. We're all good. So being, you know, the good stoner that I am, I offer to smoke him up, right? Proper stoner etiquette. 
So we go back to his apartment. He lives alone. Turns out he's a cook for a catering rest for a catering service. So he can cook, right? He treats his dog like his child. It's all wonderful. So we smoke up. Gives me his number, and I'm like, well, now I know who I can call for some weed. Awesome. Achievement unlocked. <laughs> so you know, so we so we hit it off. I keep using him. Keep calling him up. You know, hey, want to smoke up? Get some weed. Awesome, perfect. So even after the summer, and I have to move out of Brooklyn and move to Queens, we still keep in contact. And his birthday comes in November. He throws a big party, cooks for it. I meet his family, friends, all of that. And I'm like, wow, I really have a good friend that I met in real life. When the fuck does that happen? So I'm like, this is awesome. So in December, he tells me, you know what? I'm moving in January to an apartment not that far away from here. And it's a two-bedroom. And if you want, you can be my roommate. So at this point, I've known him for months. I moved in June. It is now December, right? So a solid six months, random smoking up, all of that. Perfect. So I'm like, that would be awesome. Queen sucks. I work at Bloomingdale's in Manhattan. Like, this this is a bitch. So I'm, I'm so ready to move in. So, you know, we hang out for New Year's Eve, go to Harlem, party it up. Move in a couple days later, great, wonderful. Now, we've always been smoking pot together, right? So rolling up blunts, all of that, he's great. I can't roll a blunt to save my life, still to this day, whatever, it's no big deal. <laughs> so, you know, he's like, well, this is my own little separate private blunt. <laughs> Where he, you know, like, and I've seen people, you know, being an undergrad, people crushed up their little prescription pills, added it in with their pot, smoked it, whatever. It was a good school, and they passed. They graduated, so not that bad, right? So he's like, I have my own little private blunt. You smoke that. That's cool. That's whatever. And I'm like, sure, yeah, we live together. I'm not in your business. It's fine, whatever. And everything's good. I'm living with a friend. We're both potheads. Heaven, right? What more could you ask for? And so a couple weeks later, payday rolls around. And he's like, you know what? We should go and like split a quarter. And I'm like, great. So we get the dog, walk the dog, go over, and we like, he goes, as usual, goes and buys the weed. Comes back out, I'm like, okay, good. It's the middle of January, it's freezing cold, right? And he's like, okay, I need to make one more stop. We're gonna go over to this house. And I'm like, but you just bought the weed. Why do we need to go to another house? What would they be to buy at a house? So I'm like, okay, sure, sure, whatever. So we walk over a couple blocks, and he's like, okay, I'm going to go in just to stay with the dog, little fluffy dog terrier named Max. So here I am. I'm outside, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, he'll go in and do whatever. I'm standing, waiting. Hi, Max, how are you doing? What's up? You know, normal drug trans- transaction time passes couple more minutes and then I'm like hey it's freezing and I'm like I kind of just want to go home but then I realize he has the wheat that I contributed fifty dollars to so I'm like hmm what what do I do and as I'm starting to panic I hear yells and screams from just two houses down and I'm just like oh shit what the fuck am I gonna do I'm holding Max and I'm like well if I go in I can't help. Like, what am I doing? A fight? Like, add unnecessary cuteness? Like, like, what is this? And I'm also pretty sure that you don't call the cops to a fight at a drug house. Like, 
I'm pretty sure that's the protocol. Not quite, but whatever. Okay. So I'm standing there like, oh shit, what the fuck? What the fuck am I gonna do? I'm holding the dog. I'm like, and all of a sudden my roommate Rob busts out the door, and he and he's cussing. He's like, fuck you, if I ever seen him, fuck you up, all of this, all all these threats, profanity. I don't know what the fuck to do. I'm sitting there like. Oh shit, he's running out and I'm just like, do I run? Are someone gonna come out after you? Is this gonna continue? And he's just like, fuck him. And he tells me this story. So apparently he goes in, I still don't know what he went in there to do. He goes in and apparently there was some junkie throwing shade, throwing glances, antagonizing in whatever way. And he goes on about this drug transaction, which now I'm like, what drugs were you buying? We, we had our weed. What's going on? <laughs> and he's like, and then when I came out, he's still giving me more problems, and apparently a fight ensued. And so at this point, he's telling me, if I see him again, I'm going to do this, this, and I'm like, okay, okay, sure. And now he's trying to turn me into these, his emergency contact. He's like, okay, so if something happens to me, you have to call my mom and my sisters, and what you're going to do? So this hospital is the closest one, and this is the good hospital that's nearby. You make sure I go to that one. You make sure if an ambulance comes, and I'm like, I'm not, I have nothing to say. So at this point, we're walking, we're going back to the apartment, and I'm just like, what the fuck was he buying? What was going on? What do I do? And, we, and so I'm, all of, everything's adding up together, and I'm like, do people still do crack? Like, is that, is that still a thing? Like, there was the 80s, the 90s, but it's, now it's like 2009. That, that can't still be a thing, right? And I was like, oh, shit. That's still a thing. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, panic mode, right? I'm like, I have to get the, I can't live in this, I can't live with a crack addict, right? I can do lots of addicts, but not crack, right? <laughs> So I call my mom, and I'm like, okay, mom, things are deteriorating. <laughs> you have to send me some money, <laughs> whatever you can spare. So now at this point, I'm thinking, let me collect all my coins, let me get, let me get them together in order, and find a new place to live. So a couple more weeks go by, and of course, at this point, the relationship is deteriorating because you're on crack, and I am not. <laughs> So I'm putting out emails on Craigslist on every single website that I can think of to try and find a new place to live. I have a couple places like set up and aligned for Friday, the next payday, two weeks after this horrific event. So payday is gonna hit. Got the washings from my mom. I'm appointments lined up to see some apartments. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully I can get out. So Friday morning hits. I'm scheduled to alarm comes up. Wake up. I'm like, okay, I'm getting the fuck out of here today. It's happening. I'm packing up, and Rob is like, oh, hey, you know, we've already talked about me moving out, right? But he's like, oh, you know, I've been thinking about you don't, you don't have to leave, you know? You can just, you know, pay me the rent for this coming month right now, and you can stay here, right? Because, you know, I've been thinking about it. You're right, you know. Everything's fine. We can make this work out. And I'm just like, you know... 
I kind of don't want to live with a crack addict, though. I really don't. I really don't. This is so great. And it'll be cheaper than the apartment that I have to move into next. But I just have to get away. I'm sorry. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't. And he's like, well, you know you still owe me for the cable hookup. And I'm like, and I'm like, but I paid for the cable. And I was just like, oh, wait, I'm having an argument with the crack addict. And then, and so, and then it was like the district. Like, I was like, okay, wait, I'm not about to get out of this argument when it comes to money and you getting cash in your hand. There's, there's no way out. So we're having this conversation. I'm trying to be like, no, you know, like I paid for the cable, you know, like when Kim set it up, like I paid the guy, remember? Come on. He's like, no, no, no. And so then he had also just waken up and he goes into the, he goes into the kitchen where the dog sleeps. Now he had not walked the dog in a while now. So when he goes to the kitchen, apparently the dog is shit over the 